Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today our church begins to read from the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Now if you look at great literary works, whether it's poems or plays, the opening line is always the most powerful statement that the artist makes. It makes a great deal of matter. Now, it's very intentional. The author or the artist wants to put into that opening line everything that they want to say in the course of the whole work, whether it's a poem or a play, whatever it may be. Not only that, but the artist or the writer wants to make the opening line of any literary work able to grab the reader or the listener such that immediately their attention is grabbed and held. And you can't wait to listen to more or read more. I'll give some great examples. Now is the winter of our discontent. It's the opening line from Shakespeare's play, Richard III. It's the opening line that really sums up the whole play. It sets the central theme of Richard III. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent. It's the opening line of the Gettysburg Address. It sets the tone for the entire theme of Abraham Lincoln's most famous speech. Once upon a midnight dreary, I pondered weak and weary. It's the opening line for Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven, setting the tone for that great literary work. See, that's what the authors or the artists do. They want that very first line to really set the tone for their work so that the person who's listening or reading literary artwork, their attention is grabbed and seized, such that you can't wait to hear or read more. Now, go into the gospel, Mark's gospel, that we begin to read today as a church. Mark, again, like a true literary artist, he also sets a tone with a very powerful statement in that one sentence where Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he now grabs our attention. He sets the tone for the entire gospel. Now, as we enter into this gospel of Mark, I think it's important for us to truly understand who the author is. Well, Mark is not his real name. His real name is John Mark. John Mark. He is both a Roman citizen as well as a Jew. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Roman name. His father is Roman and his mother is Jewish. Now, it's very interesting to note from the very beginning, Mark was not an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He never heard him, never met him, never saw him, never was exposed to his teaching. And so it begs the question, how can a man write a gospel about Jesus Christ when he never met the man before? Well, it's because Mark was an incredibly close companion of Peter. In fact, it was Peter that baptized Mark and brought him into the faith. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter will write 
that Mark is his spiritual son, spiritual child. That's how close they are. Now, Mark was a very close companion to Peter, traveled with him for many, many years. In fact, it was Mark who was with Peter in Rome at his martyrdom. In fact, it's interesting enough, two to three years after Peter's martyrdom, Mark actually wrote his gospel, the gospel of Mark. Now, this gospel, Mark's gospel, is the earliest of all the gospels. It was written around 60 A.D. Matthew and Luke were written about 10 to 15 years later. And John's gospel was written about 30 years later than Mark's. So again, it begs the question, how can this man who's never met, never seen, never heard Jesus Christ write a gospel about him? Well, some scholars believe that because Mark was so close to Peter, that essentially Peter dictated everything that he knew to Mark. And Mark essentially was like a secretary. He feverishly wrote it all down, which might explain the reason why. Mark quickly wrote the gospel right after Peter's death. And so we have this great literary work. And Mark, like a masterful artist, he sets the tone with a very powerful statement, the very beginning. Now, reading that statement, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for us, with 21st century ears, we say, okay, all right, we're going to start the gospel. You know, we're going to go into it. But if you listen to that statement with first century ears, if you are living in the first century during the time of Christ in the Roman Empire, this is incredibly provocative, an incredibly bold statement to make. If you're listening to this or reading it, Mark has completely grabbed your attention. Why? Just because of just a few words in that one opening statement. And Mark is intentional about it. He wants to sum up his entire gospel in that very first sentence, in addition to grab our attention. Now, he uses the word beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember, the Bible is originally written in Greek, and the Greek word that he uses for the beginning is arche. Where else do we see arche used? Well, at the very beginning of the Bible. The very first statement or sentence of the Bible in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the word beginning that is used there is arche, and that is very intentional by Mark. Mark wants to tell the reader or the listener of this gospel that the story of Genesis is just trivial in comparison to the story of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is going to usher in now a new creation, more powerful than the creation of the heavens and the earth. That this man named Jesus Christ is going to do something that is going to change the universe completely and forever. It'll never be the same again. Well, wouldn't that hold your attention? Wouldn't that pique your curiosity if you are living in the first century and hear this? Because if you are a first century Jew, you know that God created the heavens and the earth, and that was the greatest act that God could ever do. Well, now Mark is saying that's trivial in comparison to Jesus Christ, the man, and what he will do for the whole world. And so that immediately grabs your attention. You want to find out who is this man and what is he going to do that's going to change or alter the course of the entire universe. So that's the very beginning. Now next he says, the beginning of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel. The Greek word that he uses is evangolion. Evangolion. That word was only used or associated with two things. One, proclaiming a military victory for the Roman army. Or two, associated with the Roman emperor, Caesar. Essentially, when the Roman army would achieve a victory, they would send runners ahead of the army to boldly proclaim that evangelion, the gospel, the gospel of a military victory by the Roman army to Caesar as well as the senators and the rest of the population in Rome. And so the evangelion, the gospel, the good news, was basically the proclamation of another Roman victory, whether it was in Paris or Germany or wherever. Or the Evangelion, the gospel, the good news, proclaimed something about Caesar. Maybe tomorrow, the Evangelion, the gospel, would proclaim that Caesar's son was born. Or next week, the Evangelion or the gospel would proclaim that Caesar is going to start the work on a new building, whatever it may be. The Evangelion, the gospel, in the first century was always associated with only two things. Caesar or the Roman army and the success of it. Well, Mark knows that. That's why he specifically uses that word, the gospel, the good news. Now he's using it in the context of Jesus Christ. Again, in the 21st century, we say, well, yeah, okay, sure, it's the gospel, one of four, we're going to start it. Okay, we're going to learn about Jesus, according to Mark. But again, if you're listening to this in the first century in the Roman Empire, you're saying, holy cow, what is this guy doing? He's now associated a word, the good news, the gospel, with a man named Jesus Christ. You know, that's treasonous. That's seditious. In fact, Mark is bordering on being thrown into jail, even executed, to the fact that he's now associating the good news, the gospel, with a man named Jesus Christ, and not Caesar or the army and its military victory. This is just unreal. This is unheard of. You don't do this in the Roman Empire. Not only that, but when Caesar finds out about this, and he will eventually, he, he will blow his cork. He will just be incredibly incensed that this Christian wrote something that excludes him, that somehow Jesus Christ is above him. And this is the reason why our early church was persecuted for three centuries, just because of this because of these Gospels, because the Gospels proclaimed that the good news, the Evangelion, the Gospel, was not about Caesar. It was not about the Roman Empire. It was about Jesus Christ, that he was more powerful than Caesar or the Roman Empire or the Roman army. Again, if you're in the first century, you're astonished by this statement. You know, you're shocked. That's why you would be incredibly curious as far as who really is this Jesus Christ and why do people think that he's superior to Caesar, more powerful than the Roman Empire. And so your attention is immediately grabbed and you want to hear more and more about this gospel of Mark and how he speaks about this person named Jesus Christ. See, that's why Mark, in the very beginning of the statement, you know, holds our attention piques our curiosity, sums up essentially the entire gospel in that very first statement. Chapter 1, verse 1. Just like all literary artists, Mark is doing just that. 
for not just first century Romans, but for 21st century people here in this world. And so it's important for us to truly appreciate this, to recognize it for what it is. Mark is doing something that all artists have done throughout the ages, and yet he's doing it using Jesus Christ and helping us and guiding us in our faith. As we begin to read the Gospel of Mark in this great season of Advent, it's important for us to truly appreciate the artist, Mark, but also the content, the Gospel, the life of Jesus Christ, and how the life of Jesus Christ ushered in a new world order, ushered in a new creation that changed the universe completely. Now, a universe, a world that was once disordered because of the sin of Adam and Eve is now restored to the order that God originally wanted and intended it to be, in which God, he walked with Adam and Eve in easy fellowship in the garden in the cool evening. Well, God is going to have that now with us through Jesus Christ. Now, everything that went wrong with Adam and Eve and the fall, well, now it's going to be restored through Jesus Christ. That's why Mark links, you know, that word RK, the beginning, back to Genesis. Now everything is going to be restored according to how God willed or intended it to be. Not only that, but we're going to see that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and he is more powerful than anything in this world or this universe. And yet he comes into our world. He takes on our human flesh. And he will die a death in order to save us all. And that, my friends, is the good news for us. So it's important for us to really appreciate everything that Mark is going to tell us in the coming year and truly trust, believe, and have a great deal of love for our Savior and what he has done for us. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.